from the soaking wet studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another overwatered episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. How important is it to not play with your plants when they're wet? On today's show, we'll explain why you should never handle wet plants and name the real drama queens that are just waiting to make a wet touch turn fatal. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy blow drying their begonias. So we will take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and inherently interesting interrogations. So keep your hands off of them tomatoes because it's all coming up faster than love apples with leaves a mother could love. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of your life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 WLVT in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your ho-ho host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, it is prime time to deliver a very important warning about handling wet plants. I don't know about you, we've had a lot of rain already this year, just like we did last year, and that's making it really difficult to get your timing down in the garden. But I'll explain why it's important to get that timing down when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, chock a block with your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Anne, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Anne. How are you? I am terrific. Very good. And where is Anne terrific? <laughs> I'm terrific in Norrie, Pennsylvania. What can we do for Anne in central <laughs> western Pennsylvania? Well, back in August, I finally got a greenhouse. I've always wanted one. I used to work in them in between college years, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And um, I got a little greenhouse. It's 10 by 14. Okay. And I started using it. In August, I planted, I have three small raised beds in it. Good. And I, I put in microgreens and spinach and mustard. That was the first planting. Good, good. And it went, it was super. I could cut from September on. Right. Um, Excellent. So anyway, now I'm at a point where we're more on the outside. We have raised beds on the outside, and we're taking care of those, but... I'd really like to still be able to use the greenhouse in the summertime, and I've been reading things and trying to figure out what could I do. What so is I thought it, I'd ask you. What is it constructed of? It is um, lumber and uh, what's that stuff called? Um, Plastic or poly- glass? Polycarbonate. Um, panels or film? Panels, I'll say. Okay, so they're, it's like plastic windows. Yeah, and it's, like, loaded with light, yes. The whole roof is open, and the sides are all open. It's just pretty much almost just to my waist with wood at the bottom where the raised beds are. that's a good design. Now, do you have any kind of vents built into the greenhouse? Yes, yes, I do. I have a vent in one corner Mm -hmm. at one end on the west side, Mm -hmm. and on the east side I have a door that opens, and it also has a window with a screen, and then both sides of the greenhouse 
north and south have windows with screens. Oh, that's that's very good. Now, the vent that's up at uh, one end, is that self-activating or do you have to open and close it? It just stays open. It's just always open. Uh, well, that wouldn't be good in January. It didn't seem to bother anything. Uh-uh. You know, that it didn't, it didn't, um, I can honestly say that the, the heat from the, the sun really took care yeah, of everything. Night. Yeah, that's typical it, that the vent would be open during the day, but it's supposed to close at night. You must no. have you must have a way that you can physically close it. Oh, it's just sort of like a metal vent. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like it's so it's just... stationary and it's yes, yeah. yes, hmm. yes, yes. Uh, yes. That's that's really not ideal for wintertime use. I would uh, I would try to investigate. Boy, you know, if it was on a house, you would cover it over with plastic for the winter, but you want it to mm-hmm. vent. See if there's any way you can replace it. Look around in greenhouse supplies. Automatic vents are pretty standard on the kind of um, greenhouse you have. See if there's a possibility, because that gives you great flexibility, again, when the vent can open and close, depending on the internal temperature. That's a, that's a great idea. I never even thought about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so... I'm surprised that you would just have louvers up there that can't open or close. Right. That's exactly what I have. Yeah, that's a drag. So you want to know what you can do in this puppy in the summertime? Yeah, because it's going to be hot. And I'll tell you that, you know, last, last, this is no surprise to you, last summer was so humid and wet Mm -hmm. that the side of our garden that doesn't have raised beds, it was flood city a lot of the time. And the peppers, I had nothing because obviously they need a lot more hot and dry, and we just didn't have hot and dry. Our raised beds were super. Beets, potatoes, all that stuff. Um, But anyway, what I was thinking was, could I do peppers in there? I don't have a real good way to regulate the the heat in there. I know that it, even in the winter, sometimes it was like 100, 110 on a good day. That's on a sunny day with everything closed up. Right. Yeah. Um, I think peppers is probably your best choice. You know, if you go much further north than you, and especially if you go to extreme climates like southeast Alaska, uh, where it never gets really cold, never gets really hot, people need greenhouses to actually grow tomatoes or peppers because the temperature just never gets up high enough for them. So Mm -hmm. I I think peppers would be a good choice because, um, and your raised beds in the greenhouse, they're in the ground? They're they're. They're in the ground. They're um, like 30 widths and about four feet yeah, in yeah. length. But do you have any so, benches in the greenhouse, any raised areas to work on? Those are the raised. Those are the raised. I'm, I'm talking about, about 18 inches. Benches, like, like you could put pots down on top of. Oh, I do. I do have two shelves where I've also been doing some container gardening right now. Okay. Like radishes and stuff like that. Yes. uh, Peppers can take more heat. Peppers do well with a lot of heat, especially hot peppers and especially the more ornamental varieties, the ones that hold all the peppers up at the top of the plant. What I'm going Mm -hmm. to suggest is you plant your peppers in pots. Okay. And put the pots on the shelving in the greenhouse. Okay. And have a, have a thermometer in there. You, you know, if it starts to kick up past 95, you want to open up one of those side vents. Um, okay, I do have a good thermometer in there. So yeah. On the, on the other hand, I, I want a way to close that, that back window in the wintertime. Um, 
you peppers can uh, if we close that back window, the peppers should be able to stay out there till Christmas or New Year's. Okay. And then they would probably have to come in the house for a couple of months. Um, but then they'd be able to go out in the greenhouse. As you know, it's not the daytime heat, it's the nighttime cold. As soon as the sun goes down, the temperature right. drops rapidly, and you don't have anything in there to hold heat. Now, right. can you I, run I electric did, out there? Um, no, no, Too that's far? not going to happen. It is away from the house. It, it's just one of those things that I wasn't planning on doing. Well, what I was honestly. thinking is if you could put uh, heating mats on the benches, mm -hmm and keep mm -hmm. the root system of the, of the peppers warm, you'd gain another two weeks on both ends. Oh, and, I see what you're saying. And yeah. you know the peppers are perennials if they're protected from frost. So mm -hmm. if, if you keep them alive in the greenhouse most of the time and just bring them inside on nights where you know you can't beat nature, where it's gonna drop down to 10, Mm -hmm. um, you'll have full-grown plants to put out the following year. They may, fruit, wow. they may fruit and flower for you over the winter. I have pepper mm -hmm. plants that are five, six, seven, ten years old, and they get big and they get woody, and they produce their fruits much earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. So the two things I want you to do, you got to go to a greenhouse supply catalog and replace that louver thing with uh, a self-activating vent. They're really okay. not that expensive, and they do a great job. And then do you have heating mats that you use to start seeds or anything? No, I do not. Mm -mm. Well, if you're going to go out, and again, greenhouse supply catalog will get you a really nice heating mat. Um, try to get a, a nice big heavy one, a heavy rubber one that can cover okay. maybe the whole bench. Because once you get that bottom heat in there, researchers found that bottom heat is more important than air temperature. Um, mm -hmm. If you can really seal that thing up in the wintertime and you got that bottom heat going, um, you may be able to leave those peppers in year round if the insulation is good enough. Wow. But obviously really closed up use. in the winter, wide yeah. open in the summer. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you another question? Is it what related? about eggplants and tomatoes? <laughs> yes. What? Green. What about um, eggplants and tomatoes? Have uh, tomatoes I missed my are, opportunity. Tomatoes are very heat sensitive. They're going to grow better for you outside. Okay. Uh, the eggplants, you you can grow some small eggplants, but the um, the perfect plant for this is peppers. Okay. All right, Ann. All right. I love it. Thank you. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Bye bye. bye, -bye. 833-727-9588. Alexis, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Alexis. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm just ducky, thank you. <laughs> you know, with all this wet weather, it's a good thing I'm ducky. Oh, where is, <laughs> where is Alexis good? Uh, Los Angeles, California. Ah, L-A-C-A. I am, I, 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 that's a city that really divides people right down the middle, and I am on the side of Randy Newman. I love L.A. Oh, thank you. It's, a, it's, it's just, it's nonstop, it's fun, it's warm. The traffic on, on the freeways is so light. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, okay, what can we do for Alexis in the City of Angels? Um, I was calling because you had a recent caller a couple of weeks who had talked about uh, growing out a couple of uh, ponderosa lemons, I believe, from right. uh, seeds she collected in Florida and wanting to transport them uh, to her sons who lived in various states 
um, I believe Southern California was one. Um, another one might have been Florida, and I, I can't remember. Um, California has been uh, hit uh, with quarantines because of the Asian citrus psyllid, um, and actually some other pests as well. And so I wanted to make the point that uh, people should be careful about transporting, uh, in particular, citrus, because it's such an important crop um, across state lines without being mindful of these quarantines. Well, it, it was an important crop. I have to contradict you there, Alexis. It used to be an important crop because I illegally urged people to send all their plants to California, and now the native <laughs> crop has been wiped out down to the bone. Oi! Oi! Stupido! Stupido! Thank you so much. And you know what makes it? I want to get back to uh, the issue in California. But you know what makes this so much worse? is I live in the middle of a quarantine zone. Yeah, no state will allow me to cross their lines because of my potential for disease. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an imported pest called the spotted lanternfly. And it, I always feel guilty when these pests show up, not only in my state, but in my county. It's like, I swear to God, I was nowhere near Korea, honest. I didn't do it. They look at the guy with the big garden out in front of the house. Oh, okay. So we have this uh, very bizarre imported pest. And luckily, so far, it just seems to feed on Tree of Heaven. Uh, but people expect it to cross over to fruit trees. And it moves around on the sides of vehicles and in firewood. At the end of the season, it lays its eggs, but the eggs look like a mud splash. It's almost impossible to tell the difference. So, you know, somebody is having uh, a, a fall bonfire at a high school over in New Jersey. Oh, let's take them over some of our extra firewood. Heck, even driving the car to, say, Maryland or Virginia, it's conceivable the eggs would hatch out there. That would be a national disaster. And in the back of my head, I should have thought maybe California, which has some of the strictest horticultural importation laws in the country, would not be the best place to take this lemon tree from Pennsylvania or wherever she was. Yes, definitely. Uh, we have a bunch of fruit trees in our yard, and we were under a quarantine that we couldn't even donate the fruit off of our property. We had to... The only way that we could uh, donate the fruit would be to juice it ourselves. To what it yourselves? To juice the fruit ourselves. Oh, to juice the fruit. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. Um, so have you seen the pest, the psyllid? No, um, and I'm definitely not the expert on this, but mm -hmm. my understanding is that it's it's been located in various counties, kind of up the uh, Interstate 5 freeway, um, and... They're trying to limit the spread or slow the spread as much as possible. I, I think they found the pest, but not the disease, which is what wipes out, uh, wipes out Florida citrus population. Oh, yeah, I know Florida's had some, uh, some dicey times. Yeah, uh, I, before I moved, yeah, well, and, and it's really true. I, I think maybe I can get a little blasé sometimes about moving plants around, which luckily I've never done except inside of my... Um, my little area. Uh, do you think, I, this may be above your pay grade, but do you think if it was really important for the family that she might be able to get a certificate of sanitation from? You know, 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, um, from, I, uh, I, you I know, from a, don't a reasonable so. party here. <laughs> um, so uh, when we buy citrus plants that we haven't in a while, they've been actually tagged for the quarantine zone. Um, and I would expect that it would be a fairly arduous process um, to get the uh, go through the certification process. Okay. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Um, <laughs> it is, it's really important. Kids, don't listen to Uncle Mikey. Do not cross state lines with the intent to commit horticulture. Or at least look, <laughs> look it up real quick. If it says in the catalog, cannot ship to California, maybe you shouldn't either. Alexis, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy your summer. I hope you get a lot of beach time in. And um, feel free to correct me on a weekly basis if necessary. Thanks so much, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will make my annual appearance at the fabulous Burlington County Earth Fair at historic Smithville Park in East Ampton, New Jersey, this Sunday, June 9th. It's a full day of family-friendly events, music, food, and me. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with wet plants and more of your soaking wet phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a timely warning about working in the garden when the leaves of your plants are wet. You can heed our advice or go out and buy your string beans at the grocery store. I'll explain it all after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jason, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Jason. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing just dandy. How are you doing? I am just ducky today. Where are you uh, doing uh, well? I'm in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Okay, named for the baloney, right? Yeah. Yep, they got a baloney drop in the center of uh, town. It's pretty cool. Oh, you mean on New Year's Eve they drop a giant bologna? Yep. <laughs> That's fabulous. I love it. <laughs> and then the crowd descends and eats it, right? Yeah, and has a beer with it, too. There's a brewery right next to it. Oh, that sounds awful. They got bologna beer. Oh, no, 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 that's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just wrong. That's against nature. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jace, what can we do for Jason in, uh, in Lebanon? Well, Mike, um, I'm currently having a question here that I'm kind of worried about, like, the, my property. Uh, we have a urban garden in our front yard, mm -hmm. and my wife 
adores this thing. She loves it. She loves promoting gardening. Right. And, like, I love helping her. Like, we're totally, like, into gardening. I like to care about my family and try and be safe about everything. But uh, I've been noticing over the years that there are these boulders that are really gross-looking. And I've researched what they could possibly be. And I've come to the conclusion that they're slag. You sent, and, you sent us an email with yes. a great picture of your yes. slag. Now, I have to tell you, I've been doing this for 30 years. You're my first slag question, man. This is really exciting. It's exciting, but it's also, <laughs> like, scary to have in my yard. I, mean, I know. It's exciting because it's, it's not me, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, this stuff is like uh, the byproduct of steel manufacturing right. or metal manufacturing of some sort. And you fear and, that your land may have been, like, where they dump some stuff from Bethlehem Steel or some other steel maker? Yeah, there's Bethlehem Steel that's, like, a couple blocks from our property, so... When you sent me the original email, I urged you uh, to get your soil tested at Penn State, but not to get the slag tested, just the soil. Yeah. One of the things I always worry about in urban areas, and I realize Lebanon is not New York City... But if it's an older house, there was lead-based paint on the outside. If yes. it was a dumping ground at one point, then other stuff could have been dumped there, too. You sent a great picture, and we'll put that up uh, it, so that people can see it. Now, uh, have you taken that soil test? Did you contact Penn State? I did contact Penn State, but the soil tests are really pricey. Like, they're upwards of, like, 300-some dollars. I know. I know. I look. Now, we should explain to people that these are very sophisticated tests for all the different heavy metals, like lead and mercury. And then, I think that's like $80. And then as you go deep into it, molybdenum and chromium and all that other stuff— it can, right. it, can, it can be three to $500. What right. I'm worried about is lead contamination in your soil. I think the slag is like a false trail, but it's evidence that we don't know what else went in there. And right. the danger, you, you have a very young daughter that works out there too? Yeah, she's 10 months old. Right. And her name's Laurel. All right. Hello, Laurel. And, uh, so yeah. here's, here's, here's what's dangerous to me. Laurel's out there. She's a kid. She's putting dirt in her mouth. She's handling it. She's inhaling it. If there's a high level of lead in that soil, she yeah. could get lead poisoning. Any right. child with an urban garden, that is a risk. Now, I always talk about building raised beds for the convenience of never having to till, uh, for the weed-free bonus they bring to the table. They warm up faster in the spring. They stay warm later in the fall. Raised beds are great, but a lot of times when people do find a lot of lead in their soil, I recommend that they simply kind of seal off that soil with at least one layer of heavy-duty cardboard, maybe two, and then build raised beds on top of that and fill the raised beds with fresh soil that doesn't come from your house or garden. Mm -hmm. um, right around you, there are several uh, merchants, so we say, of uh, both aged mushroom soil 
and topsoil. And one of the best combinations is to try to achieve a 50-50 mix of that spent mushroom compost, which truthfully is, is a local product. You're not going to find it on the West Coast or anything like that. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, we are lucky to have that. I'm aware that. of that stuff. Uh, the other 50% really good quality screen black topsoil and then mix in a load of perlite. Then whatever your test result comes back, it, it's kind of a fait accompli. You really don't need to worry about it anymore. And because this soil uh, was not from anybody's garden, it's the kind of soil that it's very safe for your daughter uh, to put her hands in or eat, um, you know, pica, eating dirt. Kids love it. So yeah. I, I also asked it. you to contact your local EPA office. Everybody has a local EPA office, just like you have I, a, an extension. I did call them. And mm -hmm. what did they say? Were they interested? Uh, they said they'd get back to me. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So not really. Well, I don't, don't presume that. Uh, did you ask them if they could subsidize the soil test? I did kind of insinuate that. Right. And they said, no, that is not something that they would do. Okay, so here's my advice. And I think I did tell you to wait until we got a chance to talk. Um, um, I want you to get a simple lead test. That's the cheapest thing on the um, on the menu there. Okay. And if it shows elevated levels of lead, then really, if you're going to seal this thing off, why why would you care? And it'll be a nicer looking garden. It'll be easier to tend, and right. you'll have uh, a lot of just relaxation. I I would right. not want my child to be out working in an urban garden where the soil had not been tested and you were digging in the, in the flat earth. Um, okay. And I think I told you in, the, in between now and then, your wife and you should be wearing gloves. And I imagine that some garden center must have cute little gloves for kids. And it's really <laughs> the skin absorption and the inhalation of the lead that's the danger. People focus on, uh, are the plants safe to eat if we grow it in contaminated soil? And the answer is the danger of you getting lead poisoning is 100 times greater than eating contaminated produce. Right. So, you know, I looked up, the, sl the slag itself is interesting. I would encourage people to, to go to Wiki and other uh, places on the internet and read about slag. It's actually pretty fascinating. As I think you found some articles to lean towards, it might be beneficial in some weird ways. There didn't seem know. to be anything toxic <laughs> in the slag. Yeah. But I'm concerned about the soil around it. And God knows what it would cost to test slag. I mean, you know, you might have to send it to France or something like that. So just con get a hold of the, of the soil lab at Penn State. F have them send you a test kit or ask where you can pick one up at your local extension office. Uh, sure. Penn State, because they are the soil test lab for all of Pennsylvania. And just get, the, just get the test for lead. You don't even care about nutrients or pH because we're going to bypass this soil completely. But okay. the, the, the one negative thing I have to say, if it comes back really high, you got to get your kid tested for lead. Yeah. But yeah. if it doesn't, then you don't. But, you know, when you get the results, if, if there's a, a fair amount of lead there, I know you don't want to hear this, but these things happen all the time. you got to talk to your pediatrician. Um, they right. can get that lead out of the kid pretty easily these days. And, of course, huh. you know, lead Never poisoning in children is a, is a national issue. So I don't feel bad now, but don't delay. This is still a great time to put in some, some raised beds. But until we get the all clear, 
I really don't want the kid working in that soil and inhaling anything that's off-gassing from it. So, like, I'm wondering if I need to, like, if they do find lead in the soil, am I going to have to disclose this, like, if I want to sell this property? That's a tricky issue. I would, I, I have some friends uh, that I've made uh, who are real estate lawyers who tackle these kinds of questions. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to speak about the law like that. Sure. But, again, if this was not disclosed to you, then maybe you can backtrack to the realtor you worked with and and the former owners. But I mean, there's always the chance that the soil's gonna be perfectly okay. Sure. And then no drama, just next season or in this fall, I want you to build raised beds. If the soil's contaminated, I want you to drop everything else and make at least some of those beds right now. And then the Flush kid can up. play in the bed, in the soil. You know, when yeah. you have a raised bed that's a foot off the ground, it's very kid-friendly. She can lean over the, uh, the timbers or whatever you're going to frame it with. And it, it, it's just, it's a much better way of gardening. All right, man, good luck. And please stay in touch. I want to hear how this progresses. Great, I will. All right, the number to call, 833-727-9588. Timory, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Timory. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. Uh, where, okay. I, where is Timory good? Uh, I live in Pocono Lake, Pennsylvania. So, I have a quick question about my Irish junipers. Okay, um, go ahead. I have a hill full of beautiful Irish juniper, and now they're all dead. And I can't figure out why. Well, boy, they are a great, uh, they are a great plant for stabilizing a hillside. The low-growing junipers, right? Right, right. Is there a lawn that then slopes into this odd area? No, actually, they're 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 actually on a hill with a stone wall above um, them, and they're huge. They're big, and they were beautiful last summer. And after the snow melted, they're just all this rusty color now. They're just all dead. Okay, so there is a plant disease that is known as rust. Are there apples in the area? No. There is a disease called cedar apple rust. Um, okay. it, it's a very weird disease. Um, your junipers are technically in the cedar family. And anytime okay. they're in the same area, meaning like within a mile of apples or crab apples or other related species, um, they can pass disease on to one another. Uh, the disease in... Um, on your uh, on your juniper shows up as what looks like rust on the needles, and the trees get these in, insane alien globs up in them, and there's really no protection other than cut down one or the other. Uh, are you sure you don't have a crab apple, some flowering tree? Nobody nearby has apples or crab apples. I mean, there. I know that there is a tree down the street from me. Um, I don't think anybody planted it i think it's just native to the area honestly because i have state game lands behind us so right pretty you know um but i can't think of like a lot of apples around where i am oh you you wouldn't need many and napple napples (laughs) napples are not native um but uh it's possible it was planted there ages ago oh okay was do you think it's abandoned the tree yeah um yeah i do uh, it's it's. I live in a community, and it's on an it's on a vacant lot where there's no houses. It's just a 
it's on the edge of the property. Uh, how handy are you with a chainsaw, Timory? Well, I couldn't cut it down. I mean, like I can't cut it down. But I, I mean, I know, I know that we have a lot of bear that walk down the street, and they do frequent that apple tree. So I am aware of the apple tree, and so, that's the only one I know in the area. So, so then it is a public nuisance if it's drawing bears there, like open garbage. Yes, I guess. I, I would investigate the possibility of having the community or even the state. Um, Wildlife Commission perhaps take the tree down. You can also say without going into specifics that it's spreading disease. Um, now, you don't see any green in these junipers. No, not at all. Oh, I was shocked sin. when the snow melted that they were just all this rusty color. Yeah, well, they've been under a lot of stress lately with all the rain you've had. Um, right. So my suggestion, if you can get the tree down, Okay. Um, and I know this is going to be expensive, but anything here is going to be expensive. Get right. rid of the junipers. Um, spread some compost over the area to kind of negate the disease spores that may be laying there. And then you said these are Irish junipers. Right. Well, that's, a, that's what was listed on the tag when I bought them. Okay. And do you still have the tag that has the scientific name? I don't. Ah, because what I was going to say is stay in the genus of junipers, but get a completely different variety. Um, you do have choices of low-growing junipers. I, I think it's, it's, I can't think of anything better to stabilize the hillside that is literally no care, although maybe a low-growing U, Y-E-W, okay. uh, would perform the same function. They tend to grow a little more quickly. Would you mind if the plants were taller? Um, actually, well, these are huge. I mean, these junipers, honestly, I'm not kidding you. They're like the size of like a little mini cooper. That's how big they are. But not tall. Yeah, they're tall. Oh, okay. Um, you can find low-growing junipers that don't get okay. any they, – they grow sideways, essentially. Okay. And, and they're very attractive. They're perfect for stabilizing hillsides. And obviously, they're going to be a different um, species, even, than the ones that you have now. So I would think uh, you're always going to have trouble if you don't get rid of that tree. But with it drawing okay. bears and spreading disease, you might be able to get it taken down or get permission um, to have it taken down. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's a great question. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear in Philadelphia on Tuesday, July 16th to host an evening of horticultural quizzo at the PHS Pop-Up Garden on South Street. Then it's off to the beautiful Chautauqua Institute in upstate New York for a talk about pollinators on Monday, July 29th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with wet tomatoes and hot phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. 
I'm your host, beautiful Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, the dangers of working with plants when they are wet. In the meantime, though, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Peter, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you here, Peter. Where is here for you? Clarksburg, Maryland. All right. What can we do for Peter in Clarksburg? Well, I've got a couple of questions for you regarding uh, weed and feed of the lawns. Right. First of all, uh, I've got uh, three dogs that make extensive use of the lawn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you know, dogs always have their uh, nose to the ground looking for interesting things to smell. Mm -hmm. I've got a really bad weed infestation in my lawn. Uh, not just clover. It's all kinds of strange things that I have no idea what they are. Mm-hmm. The question is, are there products that are dog safe? And if not, then how long do I need to keep my dogs off the lawn before I can let them back on it? Oh, uh, Peter, I mean, if you know anything about me, I would never, never, never suggest that anybody use any kind of a chemical herbicide. Uh, they're, not that, they're not that effective. The new ones, uh, which are systemic, uh, last, you know, until every section of the plant that they were exposed to has gone, um, maybe a year. And herbicides in general are linked very specifically with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in both male dogs and male men. The, the reason I, I find this fascinating is there were studies in, in Canada up in Saskatchewan that showed a, a distinct correlation between male farmers and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma linked to their use of herbicides. And then a veterinary journal reported on a much higher rate of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in male dogs, and people went Eight, you know, you know, it, it, we care more about our dogs than our farmers, but at least the of dogs course. led to an understanding that this stuff is toxic. One of the things that makes it more toxic to dogs than even farmers or, say, horses is the soft padding they have for their paws. It's very porous. It's easy for stuff to get through there. They're not wearing shoes. They don't have hooves like cattle or horses. So dogs and cats are the most susceptible. And, of course, you know, they both lick each other all the time, or they both lick themselves all the time. Absolutely, no chemical herbicide is safe, and you don't need it. Uh, do you always cut your lawn? Yes. Okay, good. What do you cut it with? Just uh, walk behind mower. Does it have a mulching uh, capability? Yes, it does. Okay, good. Have you ever adjusted the height of cutting? Well, right now, uh, because I had let the uh, the lawn overgrow the last couple of weeks, uh, and so right now it's at the highest uh, setting. I would measure what these settings leave behind. Okay. And after you're done cutting, go out with a ruler and just take measurements at different spots in the lawn. Don't worry about your neighbors. They already know you're crazy, so you might as well just <laughs> lean into it, right? That ruler should be between three and three and a half inches. If it is, okay. don't lower it again. Cutting your grass too short encourages the growth of weeds. Now, okay. luckily, there's no temptation here for you to use chemicals because your timing is off. Um, most, quote, weed and feed are, you know, toxic fertilizers and toxic pesticides that inhibit the germination of weed seeds in the soil. Now, of course, as you know, all your weed seeds have germinated. So right. it wouldn't do you any good now. And you do leave your mulched clippings on the lawn. 
Yes, I do. Okay, excellent. Um, have you ever had your lawn aerated? No. Okay. So here's the deal. If uh, you have a brand new mower, super sharp blade, mulching capability, you're going to start mowing higher. Is the lawn at least 50% grass? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Then you should be able to recover the lawn without taking any direct action against the weeds. You'll never win a fist-to-fist, head-to-head fight with a weed. You've got to rope-a-dope them. You've got to make okay. the grass strong enough that the weeds get crowded out. A strong lawn can crowd out weeds. Do you know what kind of grass you have? Uh, I honestly have no idea that the house was built uh, in the mid-70s. Yeah, that doesn't really tell me whether you'd have a cool-season grass like bluegrass or a cool-season grass like fescue. If it's bluegrass, it runs to fill in its own bare spots. Fescue is a clumping grass that needs to be reseeded every couple of years. So you got two choices. Um, You say you haven't fed it with anything yet, right? That's correct. This would be a good time of year to go out to an independent garden center and get a gentle, um, organic food labeled for lawns. You know, Maryland and Virginia have very strict lawn care laws right now about how much food you can put on a lawn and when you can do it. So I make sure that they stay straight with that. The highest numbers you could get on the bag are 900. So you can give it a gentle feeding now, not a ton. Uh, Keep cutting high, only cut when it's dry. Keep the blade sharp. And um, here we go, now we're in August. You have two choices. Um, You can have the old lawn ripped up and reseeded with a nice grass of your choice. You do that around August 15th and you will have a weed-free lawn in the future. All you got to do is have it rototilled up, keep pulling away any green you see. Don't worry about any weeds that are left behind. Level out what you have after that, then sow the grass seed on top of the leveled portion of lawn, and then have a big load of yard waste compost waiting right there, and you know spread that like a half an inch over the newly sown grass, and water it for 20 minutes day and night until the grass comes up, and then stop. Of course, some weeds are going to sprout, but you have just sown a perfect lawn at the perfect time of year, and because the grass gets stronger over the fall and winter and spring, it'll outcompete the weeds, which are summer plants. By the time the grass gets weakened, it'll almost be a year old, and it'll be able to handle those weeds, especially, again, If you cut it three inches, that means you're forcing the lawn to grow nice, deep roots down into the soil. A well-kept lawn can um, outcompete any weed. Your other option is to keep what you have, but have a professional core aeration done. This is when they pull plugs out of the soil Uh and then rake up the plugs and compost them. But otherwise, um, aerate your lawn and then overseed it. Take a sample of your turf to a really good independent garden center that has a lawn guy. Find out what you have, get matching seed, lay down a half an inch of compost, spread the seed into the compost. The combination of opening up the dirt from soil compacted to soil nice and loose 
plus the compost to feed the lawn and be a nice seed bed, plus fresh seed, and you'll be on your way uh, to a weed-free lawn. Got it. Thank All right, you. man? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck to you. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. What happens when you handle wet plants? Kevin in northern Kentucky, about 20 minutes south of Cincinnati, writes, I've learned a lot from your show and was hoping you could set my overactive mind at ease. It's crunch time in the garden, and I'm eager to be out there whenever I can get a chance. I heard or read or imagined that I heard or read somewhere that if you work in your garden after a heavy rain, you could spread disease around but I need to pinch the suckers on my tomatoes. Should I stay or should I go? Well, Cav, the clash knew the answer. If you go, there will be trouble, but if you stay, it will be double. It's never a good idea to handle wet leaves of any kind, unless, of course, you don't care for the plant in question. When leaves are wet, they become much more open to their surroundings, especially in the morning. Plants can absorb morning watering and morning dew, not mountain dew, with the greatest efficiency. The roots can take up the maximum amount of water in the morning, and with most plants, so can the leaves. Later, in the heat of the day, those water-absorbing pores on the leaves are closed up tight so they can hold on to whatever moisture they have. That's why middle-of-the-day watering is a complete waste. But when plants are wet, their cellular structure is much more fragile. It has to be to make maximum use of the moisture. Handle those now fragile wet leaves and the cells will rupture and the leaf will go all blahooey. Yes, that's an actual horticultural term. At least it is on this show. The danger is greater with certain plants, but handling when wet is never a good idea. Now, let's name those drama queens the big five of moisture-sensitive plants. Tomatoes. The original tomatoes appeared at the base of a snow-covered mountain in Peru. Moisture from snow melt coming down the mountain was constant, but the actual plants grew out into a desert. Thus, America's gateway drug of gardening wants constant moisture at the root zone and bone-dry leaves all of the time. Good luck with that. Handling tomato plants when wet is a sure way to be buying your sandwich soakers at a farmer's market this summer. Roses. The most popular flower in America has a rep for being pissy, but that's mostly because people treat them so poorly. Like tomatoes, many of our most popular roses were found in desert-like or just plain desert conditions. Their DNA is based on dry leaves, lots of sun, and no mulch. We in wet areas can compensate for that by mulching only with compost and providing lots of airflow. Conversely, like my newly acquired classic Chuck Taylor All-Stars, wood mulch and crowding equals dead roses, or more likely roses you wish were dead. Lilacs. Lilacs want dry leaves, a lot of open space at the base, a mulch of compost, and for you to go to the south of France for the spring. You won't see the blooms? Big deal. Ask your friends to take pictures. Honorable mention, dogwoods. They need morning sun, 
as do all the above, and for you to keep your ham hocks off of them. Wood mulch, dead dogwoods, and perhaps the winner of the bunch, string beans. You may call them green beans, despite the fact that some of them are yellow. Bush beans, which simply means they're compact enough to not need a trellis. Pole beans, which means these jack-in-the-beanstalk-sized vines require a trellis as large as your house. And French beans, varieties that are skinnier and more expensive. You also got your soup or drying beans that you don't pick until frost and then harvest the now giant and bone dry seeds inside the pods for winter use, like baked beans or bean soup. Anyway, the surest way to have a poorly beany harvest is to handle the plants when they are wet, especially when still wet with morning dew. Now, on the other hand, sweet corn should be handled wet before the day gets too warm and then secured in a fridge or cooler until use or it'll lose all its sweetness. Same with salad greens like lettuce and spinach. They should also be harvested while the air is cool and then they should be eaten or refrigerated promptly. In most cases, the sugar content is lowest in the heat of the day and highest at dawn. Same with string beans. But if you pick them early in the day, you're screwed, blued, and tattooed. Play with bean plants when they're wet with dew or anything else, and the plants will curl up and die. This is a crop that you must wait for dryness to harvest. The longer you can wait, say until 7 or 8 o'clock at night, the sugars will be on the upswing. If you have nothing better to do in your life, you can check the dew point daily. And you can pick in the morning when the dew point is low. But back away if you see water on the plants, no matter what they say on your handheld device, TV set, or newspaper. Yes, kids, they still make newspapers. Lawns. Cut a lawn when it's wet and you'll have a crappy lawn the rest of the summer because you shredded the blades as opposed to cutting them cleanly. It's best to cut lawns in the early evening just as the heat of the day is beginning to dissipate. And finally, on the pruning of tomato suckers, our listener refers to. I want to tell you again and again, the only sucker here is the person pruning those poor tomato plants. Well, that sure was some timely advice about handling wet plants now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read the details, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to tickle my wet tomatoes if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time, but you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please include your location. Oh, we must know where you are. It's so very important. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, 
and links to our internationally renowned podcast at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show and an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our video editors are Concrete Kelly Hurd and Judicious Jake Boyer. The creature who walks among us is John Vicentis. Playing the role of the Invisible Man in today's production is our harassed and harried director, Javier Diaz. Our long-neglected and previously uncredited cameraman, Jeff Frederick, is the Wolfman. Regal Ron Rocher is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy Cummissack. The tack is in the house. And what can we say about Tim Fowler? that he is our CEO, that he is not our executive producer, always late for a meeting, and yes, does have bolts in his neck. I'm your host, all wet Mike McGrath. I'm the mad doctor, and I'll be out in the garden with a pair of blow dryers urging my plants to dry up until I can see you again next week. She's the undisputed queen of high-quality seeds. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we welcome legendary seed seller and fool for sweet peas, Renee Shepard. Plus your fabulous phone calls.